drug-eluting stents or bare metal stents? Can pathological data actually shed light on the matter? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. My guest today is Dr. Renu Vermani, President and Medical Director of the CV Path Institute in Gaithersburg, Maryland, and a Clinical Professor of Pathology at Georgetown University, the University of Maryland, George Washington University, and Vanderbilt University. Dr. Vermani is internationally recognized and has received numerous awards and honors for her work in cardiovascular pathology. Dr. Vermani, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Well, you have looked at every stent on the market, it seems, and uh, you've seen you've seen the stents do their job in animals and humans. So, what is your current opinion in 2008 of the usage of stents for, let's say, someone with stable angina? I think in stable angina, there are certainly use for drug-looting stents. They do reduce restenosis. That's what their main function was. That's why they were created. And they certainly reduce restenosis. But the question really is in a large vessel, which is three millimeters or greater, do we need a drug-looting stent? You know they also cost a lot more. So I would say that in a large vessel, there is no need to put a drug-looting stent and that we could use a bare metal stent. But in small vessels, certainly, I think bare metal stents do not work very well. And in fact, you do require drug-looting stent. But there are drawbacks of drug-looting stents, as I think you know and all of you know. And that's, you have to keep the patient on antiplatelet therapy for at least one year. So if it's an elderly patient, 70 years or greater, should you be putting because drug-looting stent because he may need to go to surgery? And nobody wants to do surgery. The surgeons don't want to do surgery if the patient is on antiplatelet drugs. So is DES worth the trouble? Are these people living any longer than someone who does not have a DES stent? I mean, as yet, we do not have any data to prove that. So there's a lot of money going into into DES stents without the evidence. So far, you're right. We do not have evidence, but they've not been on the market that long either. They've been on the market only since 2003, I believe, in this country. And at the moment, there are only three of them on the market. There is the Cypher, the Taxes, and the Endeavor. So these three are on the market. And the first two are Cypher and Taxes are the first generation. They've been sold in Europe for a while, since I think 2002 or so. So they really have captured the market. And they, in the United States, we were using them in 80, 90% of cases, which I don't think was required. And then, you know, whether you should use them on-label, off-label, on-label being these are stable patients or acute coronary syndrome patients, but not acute myocardial infarction, not for left main, not in vein graft, not in bifurcation lesions. So there are indications for which they have not been approved. There's a new stent out or coming out or in research by a company called Extent. Are you familiar with that? I'm familiar with that, certainly. So that is, I think, just longer stents, which, because I I think one of the problems when you stent is, okay, you've solved that problem, but then they go on an infarct from another plaque downstream. So does the Extent stent solve that problem? One of the things that drug-looting stents have had, this came out in 2006 in European Society of Cardiology that there was a higher incidence of late stent thrombosis. But all 
trials that have been done, there is a slight increase in the rate of late stem thrombus in stable patients. I think in stable patients beyond one or two years, I think the, these tend to heal. Those lesions tend to heal in stable patients. But I think when you start putting them everywhere where you don't know what type of lesion it is, you have an acute myocardial infarction. These drug-eluting stents are being used in patients with acute myocardial infarction. I don't think they should be used in those because there are data would suggest they have a higher incidence of late stem thrombosis. So I think they should be used judiciously, not in every patient. I don't think there is need to use them in 80% of patients. I would say that 30, 40, 50% at most. So we need to have a clone of you in every cath lab talking to the cardiologist before he stents somebody. <laughs> I don't think you can get a clone or you can get a person who will agree with me all the time. Most of them don't. But I think the data will suggest to you that they do cause problems. Right. Well, you're challenging their belief systems. Yes, but I think they're beginning to believe what I'm saying. We've published data that we show that if we could identify cases where patients who have uncovered strength means the Stent strut doesn't have any neoentomy on top of it. There are no smooth muscle cells, no endothelium on top. Those, the more the struts that are uncovered, that is, we showed that if they are 30% per section, you don't have uncovered struts, those are the ones that are going to thrombose. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is the world-famous Dr. Renu Vermani, President and Medical Director of the CV Path Institute in Gaithersburg, Maryland, and we're talking about the real story on stents. Um, Dr. Vermani, is there some sort of futuristic systemic approach like cryotherapy that would actually take care of the problem so we wouldn't need stents? I'm not convinced cryotherapy is necessarily going to solve our problem. Maybe in the future there'll be, you know, they've put paclitaxel on a balloon and they're saying that will solve the problem. We don't have to put stents. But I think these as yet have to be proven. The newer technologies have to be proven. I think overall, you know, drug-looting stents are a good idea. It's not a bad idea. That We can improve upon it. Part of it is, you know, the polymers, you have to have better polymers. Part of it is we loaded too much of the drug on it and we don't need that much drug for such a long time delivery. So there are things that we're beginning to learn that will improve the next generation of drug-looting cells, like you suggested, extent. Extent certainly has bioerodible polymer instead of a non-erodible polymer. It doesn't overlap. That's another thing which is very nice. One of the things we showed was when stents are overlapped, those are where we get into problem of stent thrombosis because there is much more drug there. You now concentrated the drug where you put one stent on top of another. So, you know, there are things we can avoid, and the new generation of drug-looting stents will be better. I think we'll master this. I think, and we'll also learn which ones lesions need to be treated with a drug-looting stent, which don't need to be treated. I think the future is bright. It's not to say that everybody should be getting drug-looting stents. Absolutely not. Can you tell me a little bit about what your experience has been with the newer bioabsorbable stents, and can you actually put a, a drug-eluting polymer in that stent, and do these struts allow them to stay open? Yes, they have done this. Abbott has a stent called BVS. 
that stent is totally bioerodible. They have implanted these in about 40 patients in Australia, New Zealand, and they've published the data on that, that they showed in very pristine, small lesions that these worked and that they didn't cause, there was only one incidence of thrombosis and there was no restenosis and they have put drug on top of it. And they've now shown at two years out that the stent disappears. So it's a thought. I mean, it's a process, but I think it's a difficult process because the stent loses its integrity fairly quickly. And then if you had very calcified lesions, you couldn't apply them. So I think in, especially I think where they will be very useful are in young congenital heart disease, like if you have pulmonary stenosis, aortic stenosis, because as you know, if you put a metal stent, it doesn't grow with the patient. So that's where I think they have a great future. I'd like to ask some more personal questions, if you don't mind. How did you become really the queen of coronary histology? Because it seems like your name is everywhere and everything flows through your labs. Well, I wouldn't call myself the queen, but I would say that, yes, I do see a lot. And I trained at NHLBI, one of the best, under one of the best cardiac pathologists at that time, I will say, William C. Roberts, who is very well known in the field of cardiovascular pathology and and is still going strong. He has a journal called the American Journal of Cardiology. He's the editor of it. And I learned a lot from him. And then I branched off, went to the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, where I had a laboratory of my own and continued to do research and publish. And I think everything is publishing and hard work. This is, I think, all what I did. What do you do when a new company comes to you with a new stent and you do their research and their data is not so good. Do you have the power to essentially kill a stent? Um, I don't know that I have the power, but I certainly will tell them their stent is not very good. Mm-hmm. Don't put it in patients. But then does that data just not get published? Sometimes it gets published. Sometimes it doesn't. I have to be honest. Uh, some data will get published and some will die in the research field because it depends on the polymer. Supposing they put a polymer on a stent and the polymer is no good and we find huge inflammation, we do it in animals and we don't bring it to, we don't want to show that everything is bad because it could be that it had impurities and it was nothing to do with the polymer itself. So there are many factors which play a role in all this. But anything that comes on the market, I can guarantee you that we try and publish. That My first goal, I am a nonprofit organization, my first goal is to publish things. So there's no product out there that you did the research on and advised them not to do it and it hit the market? Well, yes. I would say one of the early stents, I was not in favor, but then the clinicians wanted to do it and I said, no, I think this is a bad drug. You shouldn't be putting the stent in people. But they did it anyway because they listened to clinicians and not to me. But I really was the first one to tell them this will never work. Dr. Vermani, what treatments or therapies that are emerging are you really excited about? I think, you know, there are newer ways of bioerodible is one way, but I think bioerodible on a metal stent is another way. I think just nitinol stents is another one that I like, nitinol self-expanding stents, I believe, is the way CardioMind has such a stent, which is meant for small vessels. So there are new technologies, and also there are ways of treating heart valves, for example, percutaneously. That's very exciting. You said you're a non-for-profit organization, so let's pretend for a moment that you were interested in money 
and you had $100,000 to invest in the hottest company that you believe is going to hit it big and have the stent that's going to take over the world, what would it be? It hasn't come on the market as yet, but Turumo makes a very nice stent. It's a company, Japanese company. It uh, makes a very nice stent, and I think with the newer technology, bioerodible material on it, that is likely to come on the market will be very exciting. Well, Dr. Rainu Vermani, thank you so much for talking with me and coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. To comment or listen to our full library of on-demand podcasts, please visit our website at ReachMD.com. And if you register with the promo code RADIO, we'll give you six months free of streaming ReachMD. You can listen to day or night. You can also reach us by phone now with your comments and suggestions at 888-MD-XM-157. That's 888-MD-XM-157, and thank you for listening.